Reverend Parker's been in the Dallas area for 29 years. Uh, he is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. He is a native of Washington, D.C., and he tells me that he is still considers himself to be more D.C. than Dallas, uh, and I guess for us Cowboy fans, we'll have to, to accept that. Yes, okay. Uh, but he is the uh, pastor at Golden Gate Missionary Baptist Church. He is married to an attorney, and so we can only imagine what that's like, my brother. And um, he has three beautiful children, Maggie, Mariah, and Mekki. Mekki, I'm sorry, uh, Parker. So, brother, we welcome you this morning. We thank you for your role uh, within our community at large and for just your heart for the Lord, and we ask you to come and speak his truth and peace to us this morning. I'm looking at this bio. This is an old picture. They're going to have to get a, some gray hair on it. <laughs> um, it's, it's good to be here with you this morning. I am I'm honored to be have been asked and um, to share with you this morning. And as, as Pat said, I, did, I guess I wanted to spend most of uh, our time together just listening to you. I, I do not stand here as some kind of... Uh, expert on much of anything at all. The closest thing I may be an expert on is my wife, and you know how far that gets. <laughs> We've got, uh, we'll have 29 years in come December, and uh, I'm still trying to figure her out. <laughs> this is on recording now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I want to thank uh, one of the elders from my church, Elder Lee, uh, Raymond Lee, coming to share. I have, as I shared with Pat, I am on, I have been on sabbatical. I have not shared at the Golden Gate Church since the first Sunday in April. Um, it's the first time I've ever done that, and it's not that often that in African-American church that we, we do that at all, so it's a bit strange. Uh, but I've made a distinction between my sabbatical and my vacation. My sabbatical ended June 30th. My vacation started July 1st. Uh, so I won't be going back to the Golden Gate till the, till, uh, until fifth Sunday where I'll be sitting and someone else will be preaching. So I didn't ask a lot of men because I said that if they, if they hear I'm preaching or teaching somewhere, they told me uh, I'm going to be in trouble. So. <laughs> If I could come over here, and I asked all the men to come, I said, and I could come over here and say, well, you can come home. So uh, I'm, I'm here today kind of on the down low. <laughs> I understand that you have um, been walking through Ephesians 4, and I don't want to depart from that. Um, and I, at listening to Pat, he shared that uh, you're just, just for this summer, it's just been Ephesians 4. Um, I thought that was interesting because Ephesians 4, I'm sure he had shared with you the division in the, those six chapters. The first three chapters talk about uh, what God has done for us uh, and to us and in us and through us. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about uh, our response as a result of what God has done. I think it is tremendously important uh, as you look at Ephesians and we look at probably the reason why I'm here uh, is, is 
is really found in um, chapter 2, verse 1. Because prior to, uh, and I'm, you don't have to turn there, prior to, um, I guess we have to recognize that prior to our relationship with Christ, we're dead. We're dead. We are the walking dead. We live, we breathe, we work, we love, we, but without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That's an assessment that is hard for all of us to accept. It is an assessment that is hard to convince somebody of who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That somehow we are not alive. Uh, though we are alive. And it's only in Jesus Christ, by his spirit, that we are made alive. We're not you cannot be raised into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot, be, you cannot be prayed into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot be baptized into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can only be born into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, the word says that we are new creatures. Ephesians 4, Paul then begins to describe, once we have been made alive in him, that we are therefore, as a result, to walk um, in a certain way with each other as fellow believers in Christ and in our relationship with the world. World meaning those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. World meaning those who are dead. The walking dead. And that distinction we need to keep in mind. Um, I do not expect those who are dead to bring life to any situation that God calls us. I mean, we, we are, as believers, called to be salt and light. We are called to... Speak the words of life into dead situations. That's our job. And so, uh, Pat shared with me, you are, you're down at, at 25 through 32, the last few verses, because I understand next week is your last week. Um, of course, the first, the first uh, 16 verses talk about our oneness in him. Uh, we are one body, one spirit. Um, and we are called not to create unity because that is only created in Christ Jesus. We are called to maintain a unity that has already been created. That's, that's, that's an important distinction um, from verse 3. Uh, eager to maintain the unity of the, of the spirit in the bond of peace. We can't bring about peace. Um, peace is only found in Jesus Christ. 
we are not the authors. We cannot read. Um, we cannot um, bring about unity. That is done because we are found, each of us, in Jesus Christ. And because we are in Jesus Christ, it is thereby that we have been brought together as one in this body. And so our job is to maintain what has been created by God in his son, Jesus Christ. And so as a result, um, he gives us, he, he gives gifts to the church, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, for the equipping of the saints uh, so that we might grow together in this. I love this last part of verse uh, 16, so that the body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so then he gets into this, this section about uh, starting at verse seven, 17, uh, how we are not to walk. If this, if this chapter four, five, and six talk about how we are to walk, uh, he talks about here, therefore, uh, as a result, we, we're, we are to no longer walk as Gentiles. Now that presumes, from my perspective, that presumes that we still, though we are in Christ in one body, we are called to be of one mind, that we still have some Gentile in all of us. And that, and that we are called not to, we are called to not feed that aspect of our personality, our character, of who we are. Um, and that, that he makes it very clear. We're not to walk as Gentiles in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Um, I want you to notice the words that speak about our mind. Uh, that's not how you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. That is, and that is an ongoing process. Um, when you got saved, you... All that old man didn't just disappear. You didn't come out perfect in and of yourself. This is a process. We are called to put on, to put off the old man, to put on the new man in Jesus Christ. And that is a day, well, let me speak for myself. That is a daily job. Daily, uh-oh, there's one. <laughs> For me, it is a daily, sometimes moment by moment, challenge to take self off the throne. 
of my heart and my mind. It is a daily thing. In all my relationships, starting with my wife, my number one relationship, human relationship, is to take self off the throne. So he gets down here to verse 25 and he says, therefore, as, that, as a result of all of this, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as the occasion um, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so, um, in the context of my purpose being here, I, the reason I was asked here is because of the challenges that we have faced and we are looking at and it has stared Dallas, Texas, literally in the face in the last couple of weeks. Um, that, that passage of scripture, those verses are very clear how we are to treat one another uh, in the body of Christ and how we are to interface with one another, to interact with one another, but also how we are to present ourselves as a unified front to a world that does not know nor see Christ because they are dead. The challenge that we have within the body is that we don't, I love the way Mark said it on Wednesday night when he asked you, how many churches are there? And you collectively said, threw me off a little bit. Everybody said, where's one church? I said, well, well. Uh, and he's right. Chapter 4 teaches us that. There are, though, the challenge, well, let's put it this way. The challenge is that PCPC thinks they're a church and the only visible expression of what a church ought to be. And the Golden Gate Missionary Baptist Church thinks it's the only expression, the true expression, of the, of the, of the body of Christ. And that's where we fail. You're not it. We're not it. And when we begin, when we, when we have, because of our theological differences, because of our, because of our cultural differences, our racial difference, somehow we think, and I, I'm talking collectively as, of us as the body of Christ, that somehow that our expression of the body is the only expression or the expression or the right expression of how Christ uh, is to be displayed here on the earth. And that's just not true. 
That's a lie. There are a whole lot of folk that don't look like me. And I hate to tell you, there's a whole lot of folk that don't look like you. We think differently. We have different we come up in different situations. I'm not talking about racial now. I'm just talking about as human beings. Anybody have children in here? I need to see your hand. Okay. Watch this. I have three. They got the same mama and the same dad. One of them's from Mars, one of them's from Venus, one of them's from Pluto somewhere, and that's not even a planet, they say. This goes back and forth. They are just totally raised in the same home, raised by the same parents, go to the same church, listen, they got a daddy who's a pastor, and they are totally different. Each of them, in their own unique ways, are a visible expression of the glory of God. And so, if, we, if you can see that in your own children, in your own home, then why do we somehow think that our expression of a local body, our way of seeing, our way of preaching, our way of teaching is the best way, is the only way. And that's really where the challenge comes within the body of Christ. And so what we don't do, looking at my time here, what we don't do is speak the truth to one another. We don't speak the truth to one another. What we do not do, um, I just, we, we fail at this. We, we just do. It says, put away falsehood. Each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. I ought to be, if we are one mind, we are one members of one another, I ought to be able to speak the truth to you and you ought to be able to speak the truth to me, and we ought to be able to be get angry about it and not sin and not fall out and still be brothers in Christ. To the extent that you will not hear my truth, and to the extent that I will not hear your truth, is the extent that we do not allow Christ to shine through us. The biggest challenge, the, I would say today, the biggest challenge in the African-American community is that the majority community will not accept or hear our truth. When you tell me, I, I would have to say, when Mark and I were planning, I shared this Wednesday night, when Mark and I, he called me and he wanted to walk through his thinking about how to handle Wednesday night. And, uh, and so he walked through, and, and, and I, yeah, I was in a total agreement. But he talked about just having the policemen come and share. And he asked me, I said, well, I've got a couple of police. And I said, well, they could share, and we'd take prayer requests, and we would break up in groups and, and, and pray and go home. I said, well, Mark, if you don't hear 
if we don't pray about and something is not said about the issues that led to the shooting of police officers, then we're just hearing half the truth. So I shared with him my story of not, well, they didn't want, I got served, but they surely didn't want to do it. <laughs> and you know what Mark, Mark cried. He said, he shared it when he cried, and he cried Wednesday night. But I'm going to tell you what disturbed me, since we're speaking truth this morning, or at least I am. He said he was heartbroken by it. He says, I go to that restaurant. I went three or four times on this little vacation. I've yet to say it because it's not about the restaurant. You know, I've been to the rest, that restaurant and other places, and the service has been fine. It was those people in that particular place. Um, Mark said, you need to share that story for two reasons. The first reason I accept it, he said, because he said, there are people in my congregation where I serve that do not believe that that's a problem. That, that discrimination on a, on, a, on a basic level of trying to get regular service that you take for granted still occurs because of my race. That disappointed me, but I understand it. It's called denial. It's hard to face. And now I have to say in your community, it's hard for you to face. You don't want to. It challenges too many of your comfort, areas of comfort. It challenges too much of what you believe to be true. You want to believe that there's no problem. Because you don't have to face it. And I've come to understand it. I don't have to, I accept it. I, that's, that's your reality, your denial. Elder, Elder Lee will tell you that I threaten every week, almost every other week, once a month now, I'll say, you know what? The largest class in our church happens at 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. And nobody shows up. It's called the denial class. Nobody thinks they need it. Nobody shows. The second thing he said to me made me angry. Since we're talking about the truth. He said, he said, Vincent, if you share it, you have integrity with, with the membership, with my people. Why? Why am I the only African-American that would have integrity with you? Is it because of my degrees? Is it because I went to a good Presbyterian school? I went to Davidson College. I probably couldn't even get in now. <laughs> is, is it because I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and many of those you know, you've got members here that's gone to DTS, you know. Mark didn't, but Pete Dyson, and I guess you get a, another couple of people. He used to teach me. Is it because I'm light-skinned? 
why do I have integrity with you? More than any other African-American who is speaking the truth of their lives. That's wrong. That made me angry. I understand your denial. But that's, that's, the, that's frustration. That frustrates us. And you have to think about it yourself. You're a husband. You've been telling your wife for the past 10 years how you felt about something. And she never gets it. She doesn't hear it. How does that make you feel? Not what does it do to you. How does it make you feel? That's how we feel. In this cult, in this context, because somehow somebody thought that this was a post-racial culture we're living in. That that has not happened. I'm no longer, I no longer, I have a pastor friend of mine, and he's 10 years younger than me. His his grandfather, he said, I remember Vince, my grandfather, teaching when we were walking down the street in a small town of Tennessee, and we were walking down the sidewalk that when this white man walked down, they had to step off the sidewalk and put his head down while they walked by. If you don't think that that somehow impacts his thinking today, if you think that me being in the second grade in a white teacher's black school, black students, there were two black two white kids in my second grade class in all the elementary school at that point. And they were in my class. One of them, the boy was my best friend. We, were, we got to be best friends because we were the both tallest people in class. And so back in those days, they lined you up, you remember, by height. So in every grade, James Niner and I were at the end of the line. <laughs> and sometimes he was in front of me and sometimes I was in front of him. And we were best friends. But you know, in the second grade, I never will forget it, second grade. We had the Christmas play. And back then, you could do Jesus and Mary and the shepherds and all that stuff. There's one white girl and there's one black, white, one, uh, white guy in the entire elementary school. Do you know who played Mary and Joseph? What does that say to me? I'm not looking, we're not looking for your sympathy. I'm asking, many, many, several people came up to me Wednesday night and just several women cried and just sit past the park. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. And I'm, I'm not okay with it and I appreciated the heart, but I'm not looking for sympathy. And for you as men, I'm looking for you to accept my truth, to hear it, to respect it, and we as brothers in Christ say, okay, let's, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go to your job and your home. I want you to, the businesses that you own and run, and I want you to speak truth. That's what I want you to do. That's what you can do. I could, let me stop, because I could, because it, it, this whole thing about truth, about work, our work is to be not just for our own personal gain 
or our family's gain. It's just to work, because we focus on the lazy man, so we look at you know people that are not working. But it gives purpose for work. It says here, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The purpose of our work as believers in Christ is not so that we can build greater bonds. It's so that we might have something. Those of us who think the government does too much, well, it's part of it is because the church fails at its job. Because we can teach, we can show the love of Christ, but we can also share, you know, there's some values, there's some things you got to do. And, but when it all can come to the conclusion is that it's about building each other up. It's about ex being the visible expression of the body of Christ where we are, both individually, um, let me, let me close with this. Friday morning, several of my friends, African-American pastors, we got on the phone to just talk about how do we respond to this in our congregations? What are we going to say? And one of them, this one that I just told you, his, his grandfather taught him how to step to the side when a white person came down, down the street, put the head down. Um, he said, the challenge is within the body of Christ is that African Americans in this context, and I'm not saying because my, my big thing is this is a human problem. It's not a racial problem. It's a human thing. Okay? That's another th thing. It's a, this is a human thing. It's not limited to white, black, Hispanic, what have you. This is a human problem. Um, but he said the challenge, the problem is that the Caucasian, and he was talking about the church, evangelicals or whatever, do not view African Americans as being in the image of God. That somehow I am not, I do not, I am not a valued expression of the image of God because of my race. And therein lies the challenge. Can you view someone other than you as being a visible expression of the image of God the way they are. Can you do that? Can we do that? And so one of the things, some of and I haven't done it because I haven't been back at the church yet, and I told some folk that we were going to make video clips. And one, one pastor did it. And the mayor of Cedar Hill called them in, and they did it at, the, at a prayer session they had in Cedar Hill. And he, he asked all his men to come in front of the church. After church on Sunday, they filmed it. It was 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds. And it just simply said, we are in, and they're all African-American men, we are in the image of God. You are in the image of God. 
I'm in the image of God. And guess what? I think they ended it with this. And you don't have to fear me. You don't have to fear me. Because in many a sense, we're afraid of one another. You're afraid of me. You're not afraid of me personally because I'm acceptable. When you think about it, you're afraid of African Americans. And watch this. In some regards, I'm afraid of you. In my interactions with police, uh, driving in certain neighborhoods, I don't know if it's fear, but it does, it makes me, watch this, truth. When black folk walk in a room and they know it's the majority white, you know what we do? We try, our eyes run through the room looking for another black person. We might not know each other. We might not even get in the same. We feel a little better. Because <laughs> there's another black person in the room. Even if we don't connect with one another. Even if we don't talk. And somehow we're going to end up asking, getting in each other's face. Whether before, after the meeting, or whatever. But we looking. Let me stop. I've gone 10 minutes over my time. My personal time, anyway. What have you heard me say? You ever? I don't know if questions is the thing, but let me stop. Um, yes, sir. The question he asked, he says he appreciated um, the word about hearing truth. And he wanted to know what to do next. He, didn't, he wasn't sure what to do next. Because this is a human spiritual issue, my brother, present yourself before the Lord. And ask him to deal with your heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it this way, and I've been, I read his speech, for, you ought to read it, his speech at Harvard, 1978. He was booed. But he says, he learned in Gulag Archipelago, he wrote this, he said, I learned, I've come to understand that the line between good and evil does not pass between states or political parties, it passes through the human heart. And if we, what you can do for me is to bow yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart. Show me me. Confess that to him and respond to that. Because what you will do 
you will bring humility to whatever situation you find yourself in. So when you hear disparaging words about Hispanics or African Americans on your, in your marketplace, your workspace, in your family, what have you, you'll speak truth. When you see injustice in your own sphere, you'll, you'll do something. The spirit will prompt you. The challenge is we don't, we don't bring humility. We don't see our own stuff. And so what happens is, on a macro level, because we don't do that at an individual level, what happens at a societal level, and our response is, we're busy thinking about either what we can do out of guilt, or we're thinking about what they need to do, what black folk need to do. Excuse me? Yeah. Yes. 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 And so if we if we approach it from the aspect of the second lesson I've learned on my sabbatical is this. My heart is deceitful, utterly wicked. Who can know it? That my righteousness, the best of me, is as filthy rag. The best I have to offer, my righteousness, is filthy rags. I ain't nothing. So as I bow myself before the Lord, and I allow him to work on my heart, and I confess, He and I, I allow him to speak truth to me, then in my interactions with you, I don't have to come judging. I don't have to come. I come in humility because the only thing I have to offer to you is Jesus Christ and what he's done in me. I don't have a solution for you. Somebody's believers in Christ now. And so, see, black folk understand white guilt. That doesn't change heart. Your heart's not changed. You're just feeling guilty. God's not calling us for you to operate in your interactions with me and other races and the, the institutional races out of guilt. He's calling you to op us to operate and to address issues such as this from our position of victory found in Jesus Christ. But we come to that in humility. We come to that in humility. I don't need your sympathy or your guilt. Because guilt done, hadn't done anything to your heart. And this is a heart issue. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, his, I don't know if you heard it. Basically, he's saying that he wanted to hear, it's helpful to hear a black man's experience because his, that's not his experience. It is... My brother, we're just selfish. We're just, we're just selfish. And so it's a, human, it's a human thing. I don't understand how someone, think about it this way. I've never been in the military. 
And so I don't understand what it's like to be in the military. Um, as you said, I, I'm not paralyzed. I'm not in a wheelchair. So I don't understand what it takes to live with, when you're paralyzed and the challenges that that face. I have to have someone, if I'm willing to listen or engage, I have to, I have to engage in a relationship with that person uh, to find out. And I have to listen. And... Um, that, that's what we have to do. That's what you have to do. You have to intentionally establish relationships with someone that's not like you. It, it, and it takes intentionality. That's what happened with Mark and I. Mark came to me. And I want you to notice how Mark came, and I never viewed it this way. He said it, but I've never paid it any attention. He said it again Wednesday night. He kind of viewed me as a, a mentor relationship. Because I'm older than him, and I guess I've, I've been passing a little bit longer, but, but I never viewed our relationship that way. But Mark came to me, in humility. And I wonder how many of you have ever viewed a black person as someone that you could learn from. Not about my blackness but about my humanity and how my, how my humanity ex is expressed because I am black. So I would change the, the dynamic, see me as a person, not as a black man, see me as a man who's black. One of the aspects of his personality of who, who he is and what makes him him is his African-American context. Mark and I have established a, a great relationship because the racial piece just, it wasn't, it didn't, it just wasn't on the table. He's a husband. Ooh. <laughs> He's a father. Woo woo. His children, he raising teenagers. I've raised teenagers and raising one. You know what they are? Crazy. <laughs> they crazy. They don't have good sense. They brains not functioning fully. You ever raised one? You don't worry about it. You young fellas, y'all don't worry about it. Your day's coming. Just say, <laughs> Pastor Parker said, when you're dealing with that 14, 15 year old, you say, you know what? Pastor Parker said, I've never, he yelled it in the mic. They crazy. You know what? You crazy. <laughs> hey, you know, we both pastors and the challenges of pastoring and the loneliness of it and the challenges of it and all of that stuff and the joys of it. We, we operated at, at that level. And so, I guess I would just say, you know, don't go up to a black man and black woman and say, all right, what's it like to be a black man? <laughs> and I realize the heart, and I appreciate that. Just go up to somebody and say, I, I want to get to know you. And don't put me in the block to being black, because I'm more than that. I've been impacted more than that. Christ has impacted me more than anything else. Yes, sir. You know, um, you, you made 
Yes, sir. And the statement question was about, you know, because we are separate. I live on that side, you live on this side. Generally, races don't interact, have much daily interaction. Um, how can we, how can we, it seems that's an issue. Yes, it is. I pastor an older congregation. And that means, when I say older, I mean in age and in, in, in Christ. And so I've observed this. Their relationships are settled. Their place of work is settled. Their friendships are settled, pretty much. And so the natural forms that younger people have, opportunities that younger people have to interact with other people, because they change jobs every two years and they go to parties and clubs and whatever else they do that you used to do. All right? You have more opportunities to meet people that are not like you. And so I, I think about it like, like this. I have to challenge my people because most of them are older, is that you have to intentionally make relationships with people who are not saved who don't have a relationship with Christ. That means you've got to go out of your comfort zone, get out of your area of normal operation to younger people. It kind of happens more naturally, just as a function of how they are, you know, where they are in that stage of their life. But older people, 45 and up, you know, stuff is pretty much settled. Your friendships are settled, your relationships are settled, and so we have to reach out. Um, as it relates to churches reaching out, on a national level, I think there ought to be a draft to national service. I think every kid ought to serve in this country, whether in the military or some kind of national service. That'll force, no, that'll provide opportunities. <laughs> I think the body of Christ, but it begins with the body of Christ. We need to serve together. We need to hear, you need to hear the word of God taught and preached from my perspective. You say, well, we, you need to hear from our perspective. Watch this. We do. All the time. If I want to have a, if I want to look for a curriculum for my children on you, curriculum, Christian, Sunday school, or Bible study. It is designed for white, suburban kids. And I have to contextualize it. If I want to go online and look for a video clip to show my children or show in the sanctuary, you guys don't have a screen up there. We do have a screen. I don't know if y'all... 
Is that something that Presbyterians don't work? It don't fit in the sanctuary? But, but you know, all that stuff is white. The vision, the pictures are white. But we get it. We get your perspective. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't, Mark shouldn't come and preach and teach at Golden Gate. It's just that, you know, we get it. We have to. We're minority. Think about it. Black folk have to know you guys. We have to, to survive. We got to know how you think. We got to know how you operate. We got to know. We have to know to survive. How to operate in a white world. In a white man's world. You don't have to do that for us. You don't have to. Yes, sir, and then yes, sir. Uh, I live in North Dallas. Yes, sir. Did you do that with anybody else? Did you go to your other neighbors? Uh, well, the neighbors on each side of me I see all the time, and uh -huh. so yes. Okay. And they're white folks, okay? So here is a black family in a white neighborhood. Uh, I see them. They wave to me mm -hmm. in the car. I wave to them. I don't know their name. Mm-hmm. I walk my dogs past their house when they come out. Hi, how are you? That's it. I have made no effort to uh, to reach them or any other neighbors that are all white. I mean, I, yeah. I, I know the people that I, I'm next to, and that's it. So I'm confused by your presentation. Um, Hi there, I'm, I'm a white guy that lives two da doors down from you. How are you? What's your name? <laughs> but, uh, but you have illustrated a divide there. Yes. For, for me and for others in that neighborhood. I don't know whether anyone else has approached them or whether they uh, know anyone else in the neighborhood. I, I, I'm just... Uh, when you were a teenager, did you ever, were you ever in a, a situation where you were uncomfortable? Sure. Give me a quick one. Uh, I, never, I never got chosen to be on the basketball team. I was the last guy. <laughs> the, the, the last choice was the, the captain of the team said, oh, gosh, they're still. I understand. I understand. 
See, take, take that human. As a believer in Christ, if we take, if we can remember situations where we are a minority or we are uncomfortable and think, okay, what can I do to make, help this person to maybe be more comfortable? Think of yourself. I know that may sound selfish, but it helps to remember that in the context of our treatment of other people. They just love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I, I, watch this. When I moved in, I live in Oak Cliff, but it was a, it's a neighborhood that has been in transition for years. Now, all the white folk moved out when the black folk moved in real quick, but it was a lot of white folk that stayed. So the house I bought was from in 2000. Was it how long I've been in there? Yeah, 2000. I bought it from a white couple who had stayed. They didn't leave. Um, and so I had one neighbor was white. She brought me a cake. Ms. Rose brought me a cake, and Mr. Rose said hi, and they were older white couple. They're both deceased now. Um, and it was good. Now, I don't know the neighbors five doors down. I just don't. And so I understand that. When the roads passed, their children sold it to a gay couple. I know their names. One of them I never see. One of them cuts the grass and everything. And so I think he runs a gay club. Now, the roads told them who, that I was the pastor. So they don't, we don't, <laughs> you know, so. But Chris and I are cool. But I didn't bring a cake. My wife didn't bring, you know, it's just, you know, we have to get outside our comfort zone. And you're going to have to make a special effort. I hate to tell you, I'm talking to 99% white males. You guys run the country. And I know you don't think you do. And I know you feel like you're losing out, but you don't. You're not. To allow me to participate is not a diminishment of you. And I don't know why I would have to, you would have to allow me. See, that's what gets us. We have fought in every war in this country. You would not tolerate what we tolerate. My dad fought in World War II. You think he could get a VA loan to buy a home? that you got, your parents, or might have gotten? No. So our opportunities to build wealth, and I could go on and on. You don't want to live with us. And you know what? <laughs> we kind of like, you know, we don't mind being with ourselves. <laughs> we don't mind. But that's not healthy. It's just not healthy for anybody. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. You were next. I'm sorry.
for younger people. Okay. And wow. So I grew up there in the eighties. So I mean, when I look at race relations, um, I have a completely different view. And then I listen to my, my kids growing up in Dallas, and I'm I'm blown away at their perspective uh, on things, and it's so completely different than mine was growing up. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That is not the case. But <laughs> I, I, and I'm glad that's true in your home. But when I talk to my children, 14, 23, 27, and they've all gone, after elementary school, they've all gone to white schools in this, white private schools in this town. Hockaday. Parish. I have a teenage boy entering Jesuit. Now, I was all right with my girls, but my boy, I'm a little afraid. See, nobody comes up to your children. Now, why did you choose me? Because it was beautiful. <laughs> and it looked touchable. <laughs> and you turn red on me, it's okay. <laughs> I wish that was true. I'm going to tell you, I thought it was getting better. But these last four or five years has shown me something different. The election of Barack Obama showed me something different. I, I wish, and I'm glad for you and your children. And I did think it was getting better, but it's not. My son has experienced stuff. He went, he went to this school for the first, the white school for the first time last year, year before last. And you start in seventh grade. And he experienced some stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't even fully understand what was going on. And, and the Lord kept him from some stuff. The Lord just put a hedge around my son to keep him from some stuff. I wish, I wish it was, I wish it was better, but it's not, at least not for my, my children and, and the, they will tell you a whole different picture. And I thought it was like what you were describing. You, I thought it was different, but it's not. Not for us. It's just gone underground. It's not as overt. I'm concerned about sending my son to Jesuit. I am, but I'm going to send him. I'm concerned because I don't know what you guys are teaching your children. See, everybody says what needs to happen in the black community. You need to talk about black on black crime. And you need to, this, and we need to work on the social ills that are in, in the black community. I want to know what you're going to do in your community. Watch this. I hate to tell you this. 
But there's just as much dysfunction in your community as it is in mine. Guess what? You just have enough money to cover it up. <laughs> you may have dads in the home, but that's all they are. They in the home. Y'all working 80 hours a week. You're not interacting with your children. I love you. I love you. That's what I have to do at my church. When I say something hard like that, I have to come back and say, Elder Lee knows, it's, I love you. <laughs> I saw, it was, yes. Something that you were saying a minute ago was, you don't want our sympathy. You don't want our guilt. And like, that's obviously very easy you to tell if someone's coming out of you, up to you and doing something out of sympathy or, or guilt as opposed to out of the true overflow of their hearts mm -hmm. as we should in Christ. So I guess, I mean, what, 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 what would you have to say about that? How, how would you say that we can address that? Just like I told my brother, take yourself before the Lord and bow before him and say, Lord, show me me in this context. So that when you do interact with white and black, Hispanic, anybody, when you do interact as a brother, as a, as a man who is in the image of God, created in Christ Jesus as a new creation, when you do interact with people, it'll, I'll know, and you'll know too. The, the only answer is Christ. And us, and us is, as individuals, and then collectively, allowing the Spirit of God to show us the evil of our own hearts. And so when you see the evil in your own heart, it's not that you can accept it in evil in somebody else. You'll understand it. And so your approach will be different. I don't, I don't have another answer. I really don't. It could because it, I, I can feel guilty about a lot of stuff and don't do nothing. Or oh, we feeling bad that these cops got shot. And how, and how it's looking at our city. We feel it. We feel it. But that passes. But when I, when I reckon with the depravity of my own heart as a believer in Christ, and that evil that passes through my heart. That is yet, I am yet not perfect. I will not be until he returns and I look just like him. In the meantime, I got some evil in me and some, that I got to work on. So I, I keep that in perspective. It keeps me, you know, if I'm going to be angry with you because of your prejudices that you are able to, you know, the racism that's individual and institutional. Racism is institutional thing. It's a power thing. You, both of us have prejudices. I just don't have the ability or the power or the money or the force or the gun to enforce my prejudices. That's what makes racism racism. It's not that I don't view, I don't have some prejudices against you. I don't have some bigotry. I got some stuff about you I don't particularly care for. I, but I don't have the authority, the power, the political power, the economic power, the military power to enforce 
my prejudices. You do. And that's, that's the difference. But the root of it is the sin in my heart. Deal with your own sin. And then you can come with me, to me in humility and in grace and in understanding and speak your truth. See, I need to hear the truth that you see it to me because I there may be this perception I don't have. Even though what, black folk have to know you, I don't know everything about you. So you, you ought to be free as a believer in Christ to speak truth to me when I'm out of line. Or you see something that, about my position that's does not in accord with the truth of the word. Because that's all I have. I don't have anything else. 